Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. New Zealanders dominate the Australian Grand Prix. Bright goes to Le Mans, and engine management is a real issue. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Fabian Coulthard took out the win at the Grand Prix after a pole position and two race wins. He was able to handle the tough conditions and take a points victory. Jason Bright took out second position on points with a consistent weekend. The Brad Jones Racing pair dedicated the weekend to the memory of Jason Richards. What else can we say? I'm sure he's looking up above us and going high-fiving both of us, you know, having a one-two finish for the big uh... Will Davison was disappointed even though he got a third-place finish. His team needing to do a lot of work to get all four cars up onto the podium regularly. Uh, for our sponsors, we've got uh, 50 max on the podium, but uh, that's about it. It's been a tough weekend, really. Um, you know, obviously trying to work things with the cars and... Uh, came down to obviously who had to manage their tyres well and who had a good set of tyres for that last race, but we should have. But uh, yeah, we were quite competitive, so I'm obviously coming off a disappointing race. Um, you know, quite encouraged with race one. We made some good inroads this weekend, uh, but yeah, we've definitely gone backwards. But that's what this weekend's all about learning. Shane Van Gisbergen won the wet race on Saturday, but unfortunately, as you'll hear, an engine management issue has cost him that win in the record books, with fellow New Zealander Scott McLaughlin taking his first ever V8 supercar win in the final race of the weekend. You know, it's um, something that's happened um, quite quickly, but I don't really want it to stop now. I just want to keep it rolling. So the car's good, the team's good, and um, you know I feel like I've been driving the best I ever have. You can hear more from Scott McLaughlin on next week's White Flag Lap. Engine management became the talk of the weekend as Shane Van Gisbergen, Jamie Wincup, Craig Lowndes, Jonathan Webb, Scott Pye, Dean Fiore, Todd Kelly and Michael Caruso's cars all got pinged for irregularities in their engine timing systems. 
The breaches were not seen as performance-enhancing, but did cost all their entries their points in race three. Fortunately, it was not a championship round. James Moffat also copped a $5,000 penalty when he got physical with rookie Scott Pye in the pit garages following their tussle in race number three. Whilst the Nissan consistency in the top ten was heartening for the Kelly brothers. Really happy with what we've learned over the weekend with the car. The overall performance is a lot stronger than what I expected given um, it's only a second race now with the Nissan and still got a lot of development to do. Uh, especially on the engine side, to catch up to where we were at the end of last year. So a big, long, straight horsepower track like this to be running where we are, I think, is fantastic. Again, as we said at Adelaide, the actual chassis um, is really, really strong. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to a, to a really solid year. We can keep improving a little bit between each round. Um, you know, mid-year will be uh, in a really good place. It was probably a little bit better than we expected being a horsepower track here at Albert Park. We expect to be a little bit further back and for all the cars to be keep pushing towards the top five, it was very great um, for the whole team. But, you know, my car wasn't quite, um, or I wasn't quite able to get the same result. So we need to go back and have a bit of a look and, and just learn back at the workshop. Now we've actually got, you know, three weeks until the next round. We've got four cars. We've got a whole team together. We can start to analyse the data and try and get some performance out of the car and spend some time on that rather than just trying to spend time on getting to the track, which we're being forced to do at the moment. So... Happy to get out of the weekend with some straight cars, but, you know, a little, little bit disappointed with that last race. We started in eighth and, uh, you know, got, got taken out at turn one by a monkey again, you know, which is disappointing, and that hurt my race and, and Russell's race as well, and, um, you know, we got forced back from that and we just weren't able to recover with the pace we had. So, got to go away with a bit of a smile on your face, but still quite determined to get better results. The Nissans are getting some extra engine improvements this weekend with two Nismo technicians looking at how they can help Nissan Motorsport Australia tweak their engine packages. The list of CAMS award winners was announced at a very elaborate ceremony over the weekend with V8 supercars being prominent, life membership going to Larry Perkins, the Jack Brabham Award going to David Brabham, the Peter Brock Medal going to Craig Lowndes, the Phil Irving Award has gone to Keys Wheels Company, PWR Performance Products. The FIA Outstanding Senior Official of the Season was a good friend of the V8 Insiders in Steve Chopping. Gary Rogers is celebrating his 50th year in motorsport. We asked Rogers about how he saw the start of his team's season at Adelaide. You get a good result, everyone wants to know about you. And I, this morning we were over at Merchandise and the crowd was 40 deep, you know. Like, you know, last year they one deep. So it's like everyone loves a winner, but I think we've always been reasonably popular because we're about a bit of fun. You can hear more from Gary on this week's White Flag Lap. And finally, the latest edition of VRDX magazine is now available with Dick Johnson's Battle for Survival and how Triple Eight became Red Bull Racing Australia. You can find it in stores now or online through the Mag Store for the iPod edition. And that's the news for NoBrac Carbon Fibre products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. That's nobrac.com. After the break, Richard Crail and Lachlan Mansell will join us for a very interesting roundtable chat. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. 
Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, it's Lachlan Mansell from Chicken Flag Media. Good evening, Lockie. Good evening, Craig. How are you going? I'm going very well, as is Channel 10 Supports commentator and all-round good guy, Richard Crowell. Crowley, good evening. G'day, Craig. G'day, Lockie. How are you going? Probably as good as Fabian Coulthard, I reckon, because what a weekend. New Zealand dominates the Australian Grand Prix V8 support races. And, Lockie, it uh, was an interesting weekend. Four races and three different New Zealanders on the top step of the podium. Yeah, and in fact, uh, we were having a chat about this in the office today. Craig Lowndes is actually the only Australian driver to win a V8 supercar race so far this year, but indeed it was a very impressive performance from Fabian Coulthard and really finally coming up with the results reflects the pace that he's had in his Lockwood-sponsored Brad Jones racing VF Commodore since the very start of the season when he was fastest at the test day at, at Sydney Motorsport Park at the beginning of the year and then at, at Clipsville he was very quick as well but unfortunately didn't get the race result to uh, to do justice to the performance that he had in the car. So good to finally see him getting the monkey off the back and getting his first pole position and his first race wins and also took the overall round victory for the weekend. It was such a solid performance from Brad Jones Racing and really it's interesting that a team can be so good in new cars, old cars, different cars at that one place, Richard. Yeah, it's been a consistency for them that they've always been fasted out of the park. But um, this has been the kind of thing I think we've been looking for from Car of the Future, isn't it? This is the, the different results, the different names towards the front. And it wasn't just um, BJR at the front of the field at the weekend. We had some strong results from the Nissans. We had Techno back up there proving that their Clipsal form was no fluke. And some new names and new faces just creeping their way towards the front of the field. So... I think overall very, very positive and it's good for the sport to have these new names there and I'd love nothing more than in eight months' time or whatever it is when we get to the December at the end of the year to be um, celebrating a championship for a Brad Jones racing driver. That would be sensational for the sport. It's interesting too that we've seen Brad Jones up there, we've seen Techno up there, albeit in Triple Eight machinery, but we've also now seen Scott McLaughlin taking a race win and four... Gary Rogers Motorsport in their 50th year, Lockie. That is a, a big, big kick and a big boost for the entire team, considering that Alex was involved in the, the first race accident that really put him out for the rest of the weekend. Well, oh, he's a star, Scott McLaughlin. There's no doubt about that. Right from when he started racing in the development V8 Supercar Series a few years ago and was racing against drivers with much more experience. It was apparent that he was going to go on and and do big things and we saw signs of his potential last year in the endurance races when he drove with Jonathan Webber Techno Auto Sports as well but I think I even had a surprise to get his maiden V8 supercar main game race win as early as he has. 
Yes, unfortunately, it's not for points in the uh, strictest sense of the word, Richard. Yeah, how interesting is it, though, the quick turnaround for New Zealand in our game? Because a month and a half ago, we were staring down the barrel of going to Pukekohe in a month's time with only one Kiwi driver in the field, uh, being Fabian Coulthard. Uh, and he's a, a name in New Zealand, and he's got a good reputation, but we've lost Greg Murphy. Shane Van Gisbergen was on the bench. And now, all of a sudden, Van Gisbergen isn't just back, but he's in an amazingly good car that has a very realistic shot of being a championship winner this season. Uh, and we've got this fantastic young superstar in Scott McLaughlin, who is a fresh new face of the sport. He's personable, he's interesting. Um, he's a great story from the way he's come up through the ranks. He's well-known and liked in New Zealand. And the kid can drive. Um, and it's just another success story for GRM and the talent that Gary's picked over the years that, um, that end up in the top teams and we all know who they are. But it's a great story and I was really pleased with Scotty. And it's, it's just disappointing that he had that, uh, that drama at the start in race three in the wet race on Saturday that dropped him right down. I think he finished 24th in that couple of laps back um, after spending some time in pit lane. And had it not been for that, there would have been a very good chance that he would have been on the podium. So... That was um, that was a disappointing thing, but I think the race victory is what people are going to remember rather than he finished second or third behind Fabian Coulthard. Mm. Now, of course, one of the big things, Lockie, was the strength of the... Uh, well, what did Craig Lowndes call them in the uh, Red Bull Australia launch video, the, the Nissan shitboxes? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they went pretty good uh, up in the top ten all weekend, and... Whilst we know they're down on horsepower, their handling package obviously is uh, right there or thereabouts. The sign that they're starting to come to grips with those cars, and and as you mentioned, the lack of horsepower has probably been their biggest weakness so far. The fact that the engine, being the quad cam V8 engine, produces its power in a different part of the rev range, higher up the rev range than the more traditional pushrod Holden and Ford engines, but the problem is, of course, that they're all restricted to the same rev limit. So it's taken some development work to get the engine to produce the same sort of torque curve or power delivery, if you like. And uh, I, I think probably the best sign is we saw them go quite well, Crayley, in the wet race on the Saturday, where the lack of horsepower was probably less of a disadvantage than was in the dry. Yeah, I agree with that. And we saw at Clipsal at the start of the year that that chassis was very, very good. And through that first sector of the circuit in, in Adelaide, they were consistently in the top two or three times. So through the twisty bits, they're good. It was good to get back up of that on a fast-flowing circuit like uh, Albert Park is. It's a completely different character of circuit to what we see in Adelaide. So that was an impressive performance. James Wofford in particular was very impressive. Uh, and the way that he worked his way through the field in race two and one in particular, qualified 20th, but ended up P5, um, really good job. Really, really impressive effort. And this is an important year for Moff to really assert himself amongst that team and show people what we all know he's capable of. But good drive, good performance. The Nissan's looking good, aren't they? And, and certainly they've had more lead time than the Erebus AMGs, but they're, they're making a better fist of it at the moment. And uh, there's two Nismo technicians down in Australia right now as we speak uh, working with the Kelly Racing Engine Shop to um, to get a series of upgrades into those cars and work on that drivability that Lockie mentioned and get those cars. Because when they get horsepower, they are going to win races. And I think if you'd asked me six months ago whether Nissan would win this year, I'd probably say no. But now I reckon there's a real possibility that by the time we get to a place like Winton, where chassis is going to be everything, 
uh, I reckon you could see one of those cars somewhere towards the very, very pointy end, which is uh, it's going to be good for the sport. It's going to be a hell of a day when something other than the Holden or Ford wins a V8 supercar race. Yeah, it's going to be a painful day for some, isn't it, Lockie? <laughs> that, that's very... Um Loaded question, Craig. Um, speaking of painful, though, um, one driver who is feeling a bit of pain, at least in terms of his hip pocket, is, is Nissan driver James Moffat, who got fined for a post-race off-track altercation with Scott Pye from Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport. There was a bit of a contratop between the two drivers in that wet race on the Saturday, and from my understanding, although I didn't actually see it, uh, James Moffat went down to Scott Pye's garage after the race to give him a bit of a um, character reference and the, the stewards found that there was actually physical contact between the two drivers and, and James Moffat finds his uh, bank account lightened by a few thousand dollars. Yeah, 5000 yeah. was a total punishment, Richard, but they uh, gave him some off for, uh, well, good behaviour in the future. Yeah, some suspended... And, and the report is that, that Moff went down there and got in Scott's face and um, and gave him a bit of a bit of a, a shove, if you will. There was no punching or anything like that, so it's nothing nothing as brittle as that. But yeah, you got to wonder if it was NASCAR as whether there'd be a fine there or whether they'd just take him into the hauler and say, "Good job, boys. That's going to be good TV ratings for us." But I mean, just look at Jeff Bo- uh, Gordon and Clint Boyer, Phoenix, at the end of last season, and you know how much that works for the US. But yeah, I was going to say, I, I, they get put, taken back into the NASCAR hauler and said, why didn't you wait till the cameras were there? Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. Um, and, and the Yanks leverage, leverage that kind of stuff so well. They build that conflict and that drama and, you know, chastise them publicly, but privately probably give them a pat on the back. But, yeah, look, I mean, I watched, re-watched that race the other day and, and saw the dramas that it actually... That, that created that and, and there was some pretty loose driving from Scotty Pye I don't think there's any doubt about that uh, and Moff I know for a fact wasn't the only driver that um, had some words but and that's what happens in V8 supercar racing it's pretty hot in the middle of the pack and sometimes driving standards aren't quite they aren't quite what they need to be and Scott's a rookie he's a young driver so there's always going to be some, um, some some dramas throughout the field so look it's happened. It is what it is. Moff got the fine. He'll he'll grin and bear that. I'm I'm sure he won't have a drama. It is what it is, and uh, we'll move on and, and go motor racing. But you've got to wonder whether um, we need to be promoting these rivalries because uh, there's still not enough personalities in our sport at the moment. Mm. We need to take a break here on the Vat Insiders. There's plenty more when we return. Are we going to have a discussion about this now? Are we? Yep. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu JRM team, and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the Bad Insiders. Joining me, Craig Ravel, is Richard Crowell and also the, uh, well, I said Checker Flag Media. I should also say Veracity Media as well, uh, Lachlan Mansell. And guys, during the ad break, which uh, was, of course, great to have a, have a chance to chat with you off air, but we, we got into a conversation that 
We really need some people wearing black hats in this sport. As much as you don't want to have people uh, in their face and having having vehement and vitriolic, uh, you know, rants at people, we do want to have that WWE. We do want to have the theatre of two people not liking each other. And, you know, you want to have that feeling that, oh, these two people could explode, Richard. I agree. I agree completely. And it's not the first time you and I have talked about this on the show, Craig, but that our sport does a very, very good job of being clean. And especially, that's pertinent these days with all the dramas going on. And, and well, I know Lockie believes this. We're talking about this off air, that all the dramas going on in AFL and NRL at the moment with, with drugs and all this kind of stuff that's happening, our sport maintains an incredibly clean image. And that's fantastic. And that's a very, very big advocate for how good motor racing is and how well it's policed, how well it's managed. Um, however, what the sport lacks is the daily uh, paper fodder that AFL and NRL, and especially lately soccer as well, generate, which is Kevin Sheedy calling Mick Moldhouse an idiot or player XYZ from the Parramatta Reels, lucky your favourite club, uh, having a crack at somebody from Newcastle for being... Uh, a bullhead because they stuffed something up during a game, and I've run out of rugby terminology. That's my sum total of, uh, of league terms. But that's what we lack. That's what we don't have. So imagine for a minute a world where James Moffat had had a crack at Scott Pye. There was some verbal altercations. James Schultz from News Limited runs a follow-up story during this week. Channel 7 picks up on it leading into Simmons Plains. Pye and Moffat, boom, boom, boom. Uh, they get together on the racetrack. They're running out of tail. The commentators hype it up. After the race, the Speed Cafe goes and runs a story. V8X runs some stories about it. And you build this momentum and this rivalry. Um, that's what our sport lacks. It doesn't have it. It's had it in pieces. It's had, it's had Mark Scaife and Russell Ingle, and it's had Greg Murphy and Marcus Ambrose, both of which have been fantastic. But we don't have anything like that at the moment to generate that regular fodder that the more mainstream media likes. And more mainstream media, as Lockie well knows, means more people follow the sport more watch on TV, mm. more out of the track. And one of the great things that um, happened was when uh, Russell went to Paul Morris and it, I was lucky enough to get the quotes from both James Courtney and Russell Ingle about, uh, you know, Russell working at Stone Brothers and now going to Paul Morris and James said something. I told Russell what James said and and Russell came back with a quote and back in those days some of my material was getting put up on... Uh, on Big Pond, well, naturally enough, Neville saved that for the lead into um, lead into the Eastern Creek race, and here it is on Sunrise. You know that yep. little stoush of words that we just started on inside motor, uh, started on V8 Insiders, is all of a sudden the uh, Big Pond story, which becomes the which becomes the Sunrise story, which gets the Daily Telegraph running, and it it just. It was harmless. Now, if anyone doesn't think that Russell and uh, James are good mates, you're crazy. But here they were. They were having a crack at each other, you know, lightheartedly. But the way it came off and the way it came off in the paper looked like these guys were going to, you know, have a go at each other. The the only point that I would – sorry, guys. The only point that I would make here is, yes, I I agree with everything you're saying. And I think that it is very important for the sport to have these types of rivalries 
build-up, as Richard mentioned, more mainstream media exposure. I just think that you have to be very clear with boundaries to make sure that these sorts of things don't get out of hand. And I think if you've got drivers making physical contact in pit lane, that's probably beyond the boundaries of what's acceptable. It just depends how much WWE we want, Richard. Well, this is true, and NASCAR's often been... um described as the WWE of, of motor racing and for, for good reason and they probably let much more go than um, than anything else but I think the ultimate example of this kind of stuff was Will Power last year or year before last wasn't it now uh, giving the old double fingered salute to race control after a particularly bad call during the race and uh, IndyCar allowed him to pay that fine which was 25000 US dollars in quote unquote community service which is a pretty good vindication that uh, while we really uh, don't want you to cross the line here, Mr Power, we like the fact that it made the front page of ESPN.com and all the major news websites that cover motor racing and all of the major news websites here in Australia. So that kind of stuff does work. I agree there's got to be limits, but um, it's something our sport needs to do better. Lucky, I can tell you when you know that it's crossed the line. I was working down in... Uh, I was working for a team and we're at Mobile, Alabama... And my driver right reared on a speedway, right reared the uh, other driver, whose car was owned by about 12 brothers and one sister from Georgia. And they were coming down to our pit bay with tyre wrenches, uh, the biggest um, the biggest tyre irons and, and anything that was long and metal. And uh, we, we were looking for jack handles and the like as well to defend ourselves. That's when it's crossed the line. Only in America. Yes, that's right. Uh, I went back to... I said uh, I'm never going back to Mobile because the next time I went down there, I was almost in another fight with the driver that I was with um, having problems with the officials there too. So well, I've got we some... need to be careful here, mate. Uh, seems like trouble follows Craig Lavelle. Well, in Mobile, Alabama, that's for sure. <laughs> I won't even get into my um, I won't even get into my Arizona stories with you on air. No, that's, that's a radio show for another day. Yeah, I think so, <laughs> guys. Uh, we... another, another time slot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we need to talk about engine management issues because that was the technical explosion of the weekend with uh, a number of cars and teams, and it wasn't just a Holden problem, or it wasn't just one make a Nissan problem. Of course, those two. Uh, organisations both having ignition problems. I'm I'm wondering, was it the equipment they got given was set up wrong or was it something the teams did themselves? Richard? No, I've I've got some inside info on this. Um, The the six of the eight cars that were affected on this this Sunday morning, and we should clarify, it's an engine timing issue and there's a a minimum and a maximum degree of timing that they can wind into an engine and, and these weren't found to be at six degrees maximum. Um, uh, the six cars, all of which were triple eight built cars, all carried the same engine, which was built by um, KRE Engines in Queensland. Um, what it was 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 an oversight on the engine provider's part whilst they were on the dyno. Um, didn't dial the number incorrectly on the on the computer. You can plug in, pre-program it uh, in the cars, and then um, uh, and then it goes obviously goes in the car, and, and everything works from there. It was an oversight that, that got missed, and it was the same example, despite being a different engine provider with with uh, Nissan Motorsport doing their engine in house. It was the same example. So, 
it wasn't a performance you have. You know, I talked to a couple of people Sunday night. It wasn't a performance game thing for the engine. It wasn't going to change the outcome of the motor race one way or another. Um, but it was a technical infringement that needed to be reminded that he's serious and that the rules need to be in here to, which is hence the disqualification or hence the removal of the back of the goods for those cars. So that's what the problem was. It was, uh, my understanding is, a, a simple oversight and a basically operator error. Um, and you can guarantee it's not going to happen again now. And pretty lucky it happened at a non-point round. Well, this was my uh, point, Lockie, when we have engine management issues that have people disqualified, you have drivers in physical confrontations with other drivers. I thought these Melbourne Grand Prix races didn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, well, I think this year's Australian Grand Prix support race is probably more, more valuable or taken more seriously by the teams than perhaps what they had been in previous years just because the cars are still so new and, and still very much in the early phase of development. So there was a big opportunity for the team to be able to uh, test out their new cars of the future on a different sort of circuit to what they'd had the opportunity to test out before. So everybody was taking it very seriously. Richard, you were up in the commentary box and obviously that meant the races were great to call, but what did you think about the exhibition events? I liked it. I liked the fact they got to the gimmicks. And in the past, we've had a qualifying race and, you know, the bottom five cars drop off at the end of one lap and then the next drop off and blah, blah, blah. In the past, we've had all holding down one side of the grid and all four down the other. And and that's just silly, isn't it? Uh, I'm, I'm so pleased they just went back to stock standard everyday motor racing. And fastest driver wins. Most points on the weekend win. You work your way forward over a progressive grid over the course of the weekend and go from there. I agree with what Lockie said about it being a more important Grand Prix weekend than ever before as well because all of a sudden you've got 28 new uh, cars on the grid and everyone trying to get lap times and, and trying to get track time to develop these cars. So it became more important, but it was a good opportunity to see how raceable these cars are in a sprint race format. And remember this year, we've got this new 60-60 format on the Saturdays of several rounds with two short 60k races so this was an opportunity to put the cars in sprint race mode and see what they do turns out they do okay um i reckon that was the best v8 supercar races we've seen at the grand prix in five years they were very entertaining there was a lot going on the dry races on friday were good the wet race on saturday i thought was exceptional and sunday's race was pretty good too so a very positive weekend i think in terms of the product it was a good sign and if we get more stuff like that this year, well, then it'll be a, a more of a tick towards car of the future being a, a real positive thing. Mm. Lockie, you uh, look forward now to going back into championship mode. Do you think we're going to see a lot of difference? Are we going to see when we move to our next championship round, Red Bull, Techno, Fujitsu up the front and FPR still languishing? Well, it'll be intriguing, Craig, because we go to Simmons Plains for the next championship round, and that's a completely different type of track again, isn't it, where it's got a really slow hairpin leading onto a very, very long back straight, and it's all about power down and exit speed off that, that slow corner to make sure that your terminal speed at the end of the back straight is high. So having good horsepower is definitely going to be an advantage so to having a car that, uh, that puts its power down well. So... I think we might see a bit more of a mixture in the results. And I like Crayley, I really liked the uh, the AGP format with the shorter 
races. I think that um, that's probably a good preview of what we might expect from the new 60-60 format and the shorter sprint races that are going to be used for a lot of the championship rounds this year. The only thing I was a bit confused about at the Grand Prix was in the Saturday wet race, all of a sudden we found out that there wasn't going to be a pit stop in that race, and I thought that maybe wasn't explained quite as well to the average punters as what it could have been. I know, Crayley, you didn't get the message. No, no, bone of contention. Um, There was a bulletin released by their supercar an hour before the race with that decision, Um, which for me was a bit frustrating because we we just did not get that over in the commentary box. So we were babbling on about how much we were looking forward to pit stops and live television uh, and... Um, and they didn't happen. So we had egg on our face, and it's a bit frustrating. And it was a strange rule. I I, I still don't know the understanding behind the decision. Um, And and maybe it's been announced, but I haven't seen it. But um, I'm I'm a bit perplexed as to why they did it. I I can only assume it was to preserve their wet tyre bank and, and not have that unnecessary expense of running two sets of wets just for the sake of it, you know, a wet tyre race. And that, that's fine, but that was something that needed to be discussed and made public well before because um, I was certainly expecting pit stops. Jack Perkins, who was alongside me, was expecting pit stops, and um, the on-course boys were as well. So that was that was a frustrating thing, and, and that's where the sport needs to be careful that we don't alienate people who are casual viewers to the sport and tune in and watch their first V8 race because they want to watch the F1 later in the day and go, well, what are these clowns doing? They don't even know what um, what they've got to do as far as pit stops go. So, yeah, frustrating. Anyway, that's mm. opinion. Well, we need to wrap it up there. Thanks very much, Richard Crowell, and also to Lachlan Mansell for your time this evening. It's Gary Rogers up next here on the White Flag Lap. But, uh, guys, look forward to catching up with you down at Simmons Plains. Thank yeah, you, thank you very much, Craig. And, and just finally, I know that it's a V8 Supercar podcast, but how good was the Formula One race? Well, in fact, if people listen to Inside Motorsport, our su- our, our uh, sister show, I'm sure they will have heard your thoughts on that, um, and they can go back and listen to the podcast of that in just a few moments. But uh, we'll go to the White Flag Lap next. Thanks, Crayley. Thanks, guys. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap brought to you by Fujitsu Australia, Australia's leading air. Gary Rogers' team is celebrating its 50 years and we spoke to him about his time in motorsport and particularly is the 50th year the most work and the most change that he had seen since V8 supercars started. In terms of the car design and build, oh, no doubt about it, but, uh, you know, we've all got to build them and do it and get on with it or otherwise go home. <laughs> Your car's top ten right throughout most of the weekend has been a great start. Well, it certainly has. You know, today, I mean, we've qualified again well and um, a bit hotter today. But, look, I think it'll be OK. But, I, like I said to my boys yesterday, that's great. That's one race out of a whole heap of races. 
and it's only March, and I don't want to. Be, I love to try and get excited, but I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves either. We've just got to keep the lid on things and just keep nailing along. It's it's going to be a very important year for us. Okay, the fact that we've been around fifty years is fine, but we've just got to get our house in order so we can be around for another fifty. How different are these cars to any of the other cars that you've uh, been building? Well, mechanically, they are a lot different, although visually, if you look at them, there's not a lot of... I mean, obviously, we've got Mercedes-Benz and Nissan there now, and, and they certainly look different. But really, the Falcons and the Commodores don't look that much different, although I do like the front of our new cars. I think they look sharp and smart. But, but the mechanical things, and that's been probably a huge part of the cost, is that everything you had in your, in your truck and your workshop really was redundant. And so apart from building the cars, you had to just make sure you'd built plenty of everything to take everything with you. So if you need to carry out the maintenance, you can. Getting rid of the old stuff too. Have you now been able to get rid of your entire inventory or what have you, what have you thought worthy of keeping? Well, for me, I'm fortunate because, you know, I'm a you know, used car dealer by trade. And um, I realised that it was quite important as, as time was marching on that I'd done that famous job because we were able to well we've only got one car left we had four we've sold three we've got one left and we've sold a lot of the spares because the people that buy the cars need the spares so we've been able to couple up deals and sell the parts and uh and you know the cars have gone to good homes yeah and, and it's nice to see your cars go to a good home because there's a lot of you know there's a lot of money goes in it there's also a lot of uh, blood and energy from your workforce and you know, i'm fortunate i've got a great workforce and you know they get a thrill out of seeing their energy all their efforts too from the days when you used to race and sell cars to the days now where you're running race car teams what's been some of those key moments that have changed your direction or changed your thought process well look i really don't know i mean you just change as you go because the rules and the need for what you want to give to the public and what you want to give to your sponsors change. But I'm not really, you know, I don't believe in all this big specific grand plan of life. I'm a bit more like, you know, make sure you do the right thing as best you can and be prepared for change because my view is that's what goes wrong with a lot of people. They have this planned scheme of things, but when it all comes down, you know, you've really, it's like a sailor, isn't it? You know, he goes out in the sea with his plan to do this and the wind changes, you've got to be prepared to change and... I think that's Australia's biggest problem, particularly with politics, and I don't want to get into politics. People stand up and make these statements and think, I'll never change this, but the fact is sometimes you need to. So I just think, from my point of view, I've just done the best we can with the people I've had, and that's probably been my big strong point. I've had great people all the way through. For race wins, what's your best race win as a driver and then as an owner? I think the 24-hour race with the Monaros was our best win. I mean, a lot of people say Bathurst 2000, which, sure, that was a great win because it's a bloody hard race to win. But the second year, that 24-hour race, to build, or firstly to design and build those cars in the period of time, plus at the same time still run our supercar program, I think that single-handedly is without a doubt mine and our team's biggest achievement. Uh, As a driver... I never really won any special races. I won a couple here and there and enjoyed it. This last couple of years we've seen a change in the look of V8 Supercars' ownership and management. Last year we had Kobe Webb becoming the first woman CEO and now Betty Clemenko, the first owner. Is uh, this a change for the better? 
I think, well, what are we saying? Introducing women, is that a change for the better? Well, I strongly support women. I think that, uh, in fact, I really love women very deep down. But I think women have a lot to offer, and I think that they're more level-headed thinkers than men in most cases. I think that they uh, strategically probably plan things better than men. Uh, so I have no issue with it at all. Would I have a woman CEO? Well, we don't really have a CEO, and I suppose when I drop dead, um, we might need one, and I wouldn't be sitting up in my cloud or downstairs with my pitchfork saying, well, we've got a woman, bloody hell. Well, I'd be saying, well, it's the right woman, good on her. New generation of car? What's the new generation of Gary Rogers bling going to be like in 2013? I've sort of quietened down a bit on the bling. I had my hip replaced a couple of years ago. My agility, whilst it's OK, it's not as good as it was because I like fun. I like to dress up. I like to have fun and take fun out of people. Uh, but I certainly... But also, it's important that your results are good when you do it. Otherwise, you look like an absolute goose. So uh, I'll get something ready. And at the opportune moment, I'll release it. Like when uh, you had Robbo and Lee there, there's some goals and markers that you've made promises to the drivers for. Well, yes, I mean, today could have been that, and yesterday may have been that, and it may come, but it's just as well it didn't come because I don't really have the uniforms ready yet. But if I'm going to have one last crack at it, it's going to have to be pretty special. And I suppose, look, I didn't even think about the 50 years until everyone started talking about it, but I'm so thrilled about it now when I think about it. And it's amazing the people from my past that have rung me and, and talked about it. So I would really like to, to do something really special bling-wise, but uh, I'd need to plan it. There's a lot of younger fans that don't even realise that Gary Rogers was a driver. What is their reaction to the posters, the side of the truck? Well, uh, look, it's you know, it's like you get a good result. Everyone wants to know about you. And I, this morning we were over at Merchandise, and the crowd was forty deep. You know, like you know, last year they one deep. So it's like everyone loves a winner. But I think we've always been reasonably popular because we're about a bit of fun. Sure, hey, everyone thinks I'm a prankster. I am, but no one's more serious than me when it comes to making sure the team is in order. Um, so you just. Just got to do your best every day, I think. Who's been your best drivers over the years? You've had some great people come through your team. Who's turned out to be the best or who was the best at the time? Who's the one you're proudest of developing? Most likely myself, of course. No, I think... um, mm, Difficult. Oh, look, you'd have to say Garth Tander at this point, but still there's a while to go, I mean... You know, he's been around now for quite a while, but, you know, I can remember when he first started our place and all the main teams tried to get a petition to ban him because all he did was crash and wreck, but he was very fast and he's single-minded, very single-minded, Garth, and and I respect that in him. And, uh, yeah, he he would at this point, you don't know, though, what happens to... I mean, Lee Holsworth's got a few years to make up yet to be up where Garth is, but you would have to certainly say Garth Tanner, but also... Barguana shouldn't be discounted in that equation either because, you know, Garth finished the race in 2000 in the car, but Bargs drove the early stint in that car in that torrential rain and he really positioned us well and kept out of trouble. And uh, he, he probably goes about his business well, but, you know, perhaps isn't recognised as much as some of the others. Gary, always a pleasure to catch up with you and we look forward to some of these outfits throughout the year as your cars are stay up the front. Yeah, well, it'll be a big call, won't it? <laughs>
My thanks to Gary, Richard and Lachlan as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.